Hey everyone and welcome to Digital Discourse Today. Today we bring you a conversation between Glenna Daniels and Justine Limpitlo. Glenna Daniels is an Associate Professor of Media Studies at Wits University and a media freedom activist. She also serves on the Council of the South African National Editors Forum, where she is the Chair of the Diversity and Ethics Committee. Justine Limpitlo is an Independent Communications Law Consultant, a visiting adjunct professor at Wits University and the author of two books on media law in Africa. She specializes in electronic communications law and has extensive experience in broadcasting licensing processes. The two of them will be discussing the power of giant tech companies, the role of government in regulating media, and the harassment women journalists face online. The next voice you'll be hearing is that of Glenda Daniels. Enjoy. Okay, hi Justine. So, um, as you know, I'm Associate Professor in Media Studies at Wits University also a media freedom activist, and I hold the chair of SANEV's Ethics and Diversity Committee, South African National Editors Forum. And you, what are you doing? I am a lawyer in media and electronic communications. I'm an adjunct visiting prof at WITS, which is a pastime, um, part-time position, I should say, that I hold mostly doing research with the Link Centre and some teaching. I also am a freedom of expression activist and I'm chair of the legal subcommittee of the SOS coalition. Yeah, so now what are the issues? You know, my issues are really political, media and politics issues and yours are to do with regulation, internet, taxation. So it's going to be very interesting that we, you know, we just talk about what are the burning issues for you and then we'll talk about what, what concerns me. Do you want to kick off? You were talking about the news about Amazon. Yes, I just I saw the most extraordinary thing on Twitter this morning about Amazon not having paid any tax. And I wow. just can't possibly be true because it's one of the global big five. It's right up there. And... What was the source of the news, Justine? What if it's fake news? I mean, if this is yeah, real, this is a big tax fraud story. Exactly. So I went online and I checked it at a number of reputable news sites. And it's not that they pay zero tax at all, but they do pay absolutely, or last year at least, 2018, they paid not one cent in federal taxes in the US on a profit, not a not a turnover, on a profit of eleven billion, billion. dollars. Well, so the brand terms is hundreds of billions of rand and not so, one cent of profit. And and it just I know that a number of companies, Facebook, Apple, a number of the big <clears throat> tech and internet based companies really try to threaten whole governments by saying, unless we get the tax breaks, we are simply moving our operations to more congenial tax environments. Mm. And yet, Corporate tax as a percentage of tax bills all over the world are declining and poor people like you and me, academics and professionals and the middle class are the people that are stumping up vastly 
a vastly high percentage of a of a tax bill and and i think it's just absolutely wrong it's absolutely wrong i agree but what what's also concerning me at the moment which is related to that of the big monopolies is that they're getting away with it and even though as activists we keep talking about how to tax fake facebook who should be doing this this taxation you know if it's governments then we're heading back into also a dark age where governments can then decide what to put on what not to put on so while big companies are getting away with murder in terms of not paying tax we're getting squeezed and squeezed in terms of what kind of media we have because advertising's going on to um you know the big companies the big tech companies who are calling themselves tech companies and not media companies but they've actually taken media away from us so it's a terrible conundrum what ideas do you have that what 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 should we be doing <laughs> i don't i don't know it's yeah, a horror it's story. Really, what should we do? It, it, it's really interesting that you that you talk about this. I mean, one of the things that I've been fascinated by is how Europe, as a trading group, has been able to come together and, as a trading bloc, really impose on the big tech companies like Google and Facebook a more fair way of operating in. Um, in those jurisdictions. And it's interesting because, you know, the Europeans were the ones that said, you have to do data protection properly, Facebook. And then Facebook had to change not only its European operations, but that had far reaching effects back in the US as well mm -hmm. as in Europe and in other jurisdictions that we've benefited from. And I'm starting to see all over Africa, a wake up by regulators and governments about the rise of OTT over the top, um, so-called over the top services, where people are providing audiovisual content that can take the place of broadcasters, but also, as you say, and I think this is critical, take the place of news organizations. Um, and we know that newspapers are dying on the vine because advertising is going to Facebook and Google. Now, it's not that that's US advertising. Very often it's our advertising. It's South Africans. Yeah, absolutely. It's, South it, it, it's our yeah. advertising. And, um, you know, <laughs> this is one of the reasons, you know, my big issue is, is the retrenchment issues, the, the media organizations being decimated newsrooms being depleted of staff, senior staff, because they can't pay them. And at the same time, the community media, for instance, a sector which has just gone down by more than 50%, you know, from whatever, 500 and something thousand newspapers to about 200 and something. And those communities are now coalescing on Facebook. So Facebook gets the advertising. And the only way I, I, I can't see any campaign, there isn't really one that's uh, out there at the moment in South Africa, but the only way in which to do this is to climb onto an international bandwagon of everyone doing so, all media at different levels doing a similar, the same campaign, you know, obviously looking into local conditions as well. But there must be some overlap with the local and the international about how one can 
deal with this taxation? Because as I was saying, if it's left to governments and we know what governments can do, it's not it's not good enough. It's so um, I I have a different take on that actually. Mm. I think it's only governments that can be powerful enough to demand and um, but if you take China, for instance, take the example of China, it, it does exactly that. It regulates the Internet. Yeah, it regulates China, Google. China regulates every- yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm interrupting. Yeah, it regulates everything. And the, the people who are then affected the most in terms of access to information are actually people on the ground. Because when governments start to do this, it's governments that can use this to their own advantages Um, in terms of, well, then this is the kind of content we need out. And this is the kind of content that's going to be in the national interest. I've got a big problem with that because this is exactly the way the world is going at the moment. You know, you have certain bills and this is across the board from whether it's the US, the UK, and we've had a raid in Australia as well about mm-hmm. what is the national interest. And we have in South Africa a protection of state information bill, which we've dubbed the secrecy bill, which hasn't been passed. So once governments start to regulate information, although I'm not giving you who the alternative should be about who should be regulating this, we need some kind of regulation, some kind of tax reform. Um, so I'm not sure who it should be, but once governments start to interfere without the input of civil society activists, media themselves, it's a free for all for governments to do what they want in their interest, not in the national interest. I, I think that's fascinating. And I've got two main responses that I want to make to that. One is that regulating taxation issues and regulating who benefits and who shares in the profits made by those companies that are essentially pulling out all advertising revenue from, for example, African media sources is a very different issue from regulating access to the internet and content. So I think it's essential for governments to come together, like, for example, the African Free Trade um, Treaty has just come into force. There's going to be an an Africa Free Trade Agreement. And what that's going to mean is that we're going to start developing Africa as a trading bloc. It's going to be essential for governments, I think, to one, make sure that the companies that are getting advertising revenue from Africa and service costs from service revenues from Africa, for example, the Netflix um, <clears throat> show maxes, for example, they are the ones that are situated offshore. So, in fact, that wouldn't include Showmax, which is South African, mm-hmm. but a Netflix, for example, would have to contribute some of those revenues back yeah, into Africa. And mm-hmm. I think that there are two big ways of doing it. One, it needs to go into a pot to develop local content across the the continent. Two, it's got to go into a pot to ensure the survival of African news and information sources, independent media sources. Mm. That, for me, is a different issue to regulate content. And on this, I'm with you. Governments regulating content, well, we've seen that. 
We've seen that all over. That's what internet shutdowns, internet throttlings, and you know, banning sites and stuff. Is no, what I'm saying is, is that not opening the door to that kind of thing, internet shutdowns and throttling? Because once you know, once you've got government having the main hand in this whole thing, it's exactly what can and has, as we know, led to internet shutdowns. We've had it in Ethiopia, we had it in Zimbabwe, we've had it in China, we've had it in Venezuela, we've had it everywhere, um, except for a couple of places. So now in Africa more so than on any other continent. It's really, it's really shocking. Um, and what I agree with you on is that the internet and content regulation of the internet, how are we going about it, has got to be a focus for freedom of expression activists all over the, the continent. And, and we're seeing positive signs. The new principles on internet um, freedoms <clears throat> are really important. There are a number of key good principles there, including that Africans need to benefit from the yeah. economic, um, yeah. you know, from, from the online services that they yeah. pay for, from the advertising they pay for. And, um, <clears throat> and I think that's very positive. But I agree mm. with you, it's going to take, you know, it's not just an issue of a multilateral government exercise. It's absolutely critical that civil society is involved. Yes. And, yes. And, and I thought something like the Christchurch call, um, which involved civil society from the very beginning, was an important step of saying that we have to co-regulate these issues. It's government, it's civil society, and it's the big tech companies have to come together to agree rules around what kind of content, incredibly narrow, limited kinds of content, ought not to be publicly available on the internet. And for the rest, sure, it must be guaranteed. Uh, yeah, but, look, I mean, it all sounds very gloomy and pessimistic. Are there any optimistic moments in this whole thing? I mean, is anything actually happening that you know of that we can use as an example? Yes! Of, uh, yes, tell me, tell me, please. <laughs> so, so the AU is busy, as we speak, updating their Declaration on Principles of Freedom of Expression. And the new, the new draft that has just come out is absolutely amazing. Oh, and wonderful. A part of the reason it's amazing is that it has called on civil society organizations all over the continent to, in, to input. SANEF mm -hmm. is inputting, just from South Africa, I know that yes. SANEF is inputting, MMA is inputting, I know that um, APC, which is doing, um, you know, the Center for Alternative Communications, they're inputting all over the continent and there are now loads of provisions in there about the internet about protecting freedom of expression online about ensuring that only those grounds that are governed by international law for not allowing freedom of expression are allowed in africa online
And yeah, no, that's fantastic. So we, we obviously will we'll come up with some fantastic declaration. And what what makes me very optimistic is the fact that we do have robust civil society organizations in the media space. I mean, we've got about 25 just in South Africa. So, you know, if we do an African continent thing, it's very difficult for us to be, which we can do, of course, lead the world. But, you know, if we do an African continent thing as an example of what can be done via this mechanism with the AU, it would be absolutely amazing. And the free trade stuff, I mean, I'm not a trade lawyer, I'm not a trade expert mm. at all, but I am involved in this in some ways, looking at the communications sector to come up with proposals for Africa on what their, um, you know, what sort of best practice looks like for trade yeah. in communications. And the African governments has specifically asked us to look at OTT services as well. And, yeah. and, and I'm, I think that we're on the threshold of a really interesting period because countries like Cameroon and countries like Ethiopia, although I think there's a new wind blowing through Ethiopia yes. with the change of government, they're just not really going to be able to, to do, to mm. do what they got away with doing in the past. Yeah, it, I, agree. I, I really think that the time of internet and social media shutdowns is coming to an end. That's fantastic. I, I agree. I'm also beginning to feel that. And as soon as these shutdowns happen, they get such terribly bad publicity and exposure that they get embarrassed and quickly put it on again which is also great. But I wanted to talk about, um, if you don't mind, something else. Just ask you your ideas. I mean, there's just a whole lot of research that has been done, ideas on how to combat this. But why do you think the harassment and the cyberbullying of women journalists, is, it's just increasing? It's just like, why... Why is this happening? Why have women become the vulnerable target? It's just exactly the replication of what happens in society at large, or is it something in particular related to the internet and how it can be done via social media and that's why people do it? What what ideas do you have about why this is so, happening at the rate? So it, it's, very, it's very interesting that you say that. One is that the online space is a mirror of our world in some ways. It's certainly a mirror of bad behavior offline gets translated into bad behavior online. So, so people, I, I honestly found it astonishing that people, for example, were threatening to rape um, Karima, Karima Brown. And and I've seen um, Ranjani Moonsami, I think, has also been the subject of people saying, we're going to punch you in the face. We're going to hurt you. That's Polyphantic, there's <clears throat> been Ferial Hafiji, there have been all sorts yes, of women in but, the public space who have been doing the, you know, the uh, uh, watchdog journalism uh, public interest journalism, uncovering corruption. So there's a bit of a trend and a bit of a pattern, but including with the with the ruling party, 
and its vilification of journalists. Uh, it worries me very much indeed and is naming and shaming the only way in which we can combat this? Can we make a law about it? There is already a law about it that no one ever uses called the protection from harassment. Yeah, nobody uses that. Some of us know about that and we don't go to court for that. Yeah. We and go we, defamation and, and, and all sorts of other things, but um, damage to reputation, but we don't yeah. use that. Yeah. I mean, I actually think that journalists, uh, I think organizations like SANEF, who, I mean, there, there is no longer, sadly, the um, union of journalists anymore, but SANEF mm -hmm. sort of operates like that. I actually mm -hmm. think we need to be doing class action on behalf of all journalists to go to the courts for a protection order from all political parties against what constitutes harassment. There is a big difference, uh, in my view, between critiquing a journalist's work, which I think should be absolutely up for grabs. Necessary. Yes, of course. And necessary. Of course it's necessary. <laughs> and the kinds of things that we are seeing with the um, no, what with, did you say? Uh, protection, of protection of order, a protection of order law, which Okay, so it's an order that you can get, and as soon as you're harassed, then you can refer to this order, and then they can pay costs and damages for whatever Absolutely. they've done. Okay. Absolutely. And, but yeah, I so, think across the board, because at the moment, everyone is focused on the EFF because hmm. of um, Karima judgment, but also because of the Trevor Manuel judgment, they are not the only ones. No, they're not the but, only ones. It's across the board, actually. I mean, if you think about what Helen Ziller has been saying on Twitter about journalists and how she calls them out and picks on them and makes, you know, vilifies them for any criticism of her, it's really across the board of all political parties, politicians, yeah. and so forth. You know, it's um, it's horrendous. Um, the problem is in South Africa about ten years ago, maybe even more. We had good, strong unions. We had the ADJ yep. in the 80s, yep. the Association of Democratic <clears throat> Journalists. Then we had the SAUJ, the South African Union of Journalists, and that's basically finished. Then uh, we had MWASA, which uh, organized workers, and they wanted to amalgamate that with journalists, and journalists didn't come to the party, unfortunately. So now, in fact, well, there's the... Communication Workers Union, there's BAMAU at SABC, etc. But there's a, an array of different journalists who are not actually organizing journalists, or maybe it's journalists that are not coming to the party to wanting to be organized. And and that's, um, you know, that's created a terrible situation of a complete disarray in the sector where, you know, you're not getting protection for journalists and you're not getting this kind of thing. So SANEV is a forum an editor's forum yeah. and a senior journalist forum and media <clears throat> trainers forum. But at the moment, it can't operate as a union and it's not a union. But at the moment, of course, it does. It does court actions and interdicts, etc. You know, it's, it's acting in that space, but it can't act as a union. So I've been recently discussing, shouldn't we be having an adjunct wing 
to the to SANEF to say deal with specifically uh, workers' issues, journalist um, shop floor issues. And, uh, you know, I'd like to put it on the agenda for SANEV and see if that will fly, see what we can do. Um, you know, in the meanwhile, it's just a bloodbath out there in terms of retrenchments, etc. It's awful. <laughs> it's awful. And I want to say that I absolutely agree with you. But I think that that is also symptomatic of what is happening with the near collapse of Kasatu. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's unionism, particularly things like the the wholesale theft of um, union um, savings and investments that we've seen, for example, in in some of the unions, has really lent lent people to just really are not sure. I don't think about the value of of unions and that well, there I think are two, uh, two issues there with Kasatu. Mm. You know, once had over a million members, it's now got a couple of hundred thousand. And one of the things is the casualization of labor due to the the new kind of technological age. Uh, yeah. And another issue is the politicization of unions backing different sides when it should be dealing with union issues. And then in terms of journalism, it's actually a complete replication of what's happening in society and the world at large, because everyone is talking about the fourth industrial revolution as though it is something that's coming, but it's not coming. It's all, you know, we're already dealing with it and we've been dealing with it for a good 10 years already. so the, I mean, the, the issue, uh, you know, it's it's not a it's not a case of let's throw up our hands. There's nothing we can do about it. There's something we can do about it. We need to have these conversations and also have activism in the space combined with the legal inputs about what is available, what laws are available, how we can use them, which we don't. <clears throat> we're not aware of a lot of things. Um, in, in that space, I, so you know, I, I, I don't want to be totally pessimistic about everything. We just yeah. need to, uh, you know, just have our our fingers on the pulse of what can be done, given our, our frameworks, our legal frameworks. But Glenda, can I ask you just on the issue of of these attacks? I want to go back to the, your issue about sure. attacking journalists. First of all, there are attacks on journalists across the board. But what I've noticed, it's my personal view. I'd be interested in yours. One is that commentate or you know on social media for example um men seem to get criticism about their journalism whereas women journalists seem to be personally vilely attacked and threatened with personal violence Mm -hmm. another thing i'm noticing and i don't want to racialize this unnecessarily but it does seem to me that black journalists come in for, and dare I say, I'm sorry, but Indian journalists seem to come in for a particularly vicious time. And I just wonder, you know, is do are you noticing that? Am I, am I making something? I think it's gendered. I think it's racialized. And I think those are easy targets to um, call to in the kind of climate and the kind of post-apartheid South Africa that we live in, number one, 
Number two, this is also happening all over the world. If you look at the Philippines, um, you know, the editor of Rappler, yeah. also a person of color, it's Mexico, it's mm. um, everywhere in the world. It's women journalists who have come in for this kind of what we call cyber misogyny, you know, um, because it's bullying. It's bullying. And I've certainly noticed what you've talked, what you're talking about. You know, men definitely get away with it. They will, they, they're not, they don't get personalized for what they wear, how they look, um, the color of their hair, the size of their thighs that they will get. The size um, of hello. <laughs> sorry? The size of their tummies. The size of their tummies, etc. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I mean, this is, is as old as history. Nonetheless, it shocks me. It still shocks me that this yeah. can be happening in 2019. Yeah. It keeps me up at night that, you know, here we think there's a greater feminist consciousness that we're spreading. Here we think that there's more activism that's happening in the freedom of expression space. Here we think that the internet is going to be a um, leveling of the playing fields for all. But to yeah. me, it's uh, the social media space has become more, uh, you know, as, as everyone's spoken about, the echo chambers, the middle classes talking to each other, boosting each other's self-esteem and vanities and so forth. And fights amongst, um, amongst people who don't dis agree with each other. There's no nuance. It's just you're either for this or you're against this. Mm. It's, it's something that I think is happening in the world politically. It's part of the broad... Uh, politics of the world where the middle ground is just being squashed right to the middle and you get this left-wing knee-jerk reaction, you get this right-wing populism, you know, the populists call themselves left-wing, but the very nationalist uh, stuff yeah. that comes up with it is very right-wing, in fact. Absolutely. And the very anti-feminist, anti-woman sentiments that come, uh, the racist stuff that come with it is very right-wing. So it worries me about what's happening in the world political, politically, and it feeds directly into the kind of space that we're operating in as media freedom activists, as academics, as journalists, as writers. It's extremely worrying and that this kind of trend, this very um, retrogressive trend that we see, anti-feminist, anti-progression. It, it is something that... Um, I, I recently attended the Global Media Forum in Bonn in Germany and speaker after speaker was talking about the fact that the way commercially social media is set up is the whole clickbait mm. is to drive society away from a set of shared values into the extremes where there is violence and a desire to shut down mm. real, real debate. And mm. I, I find it astonishing mm. how many people who disagree with me on Twitter, and there are thousands of them, can't seem to deal with the arguments and respond on the arguments. Yes. But instead, yeah. By what do you know, or you yeah. or you white, <laughs> libtard, or you're a white, yeah. is such yeah. a bore. But it's the terrible. Thing is, Linda, it is deliberate, mm. it is set up by private companies 
who we are, which is how we are feeding we into. Yeah, it's a racket. They, they, it's a racket, and they, they milking it all the way to the bank, over these what I call the world of binary oppositions, and we all feeding into it when we participate. But I think our time is up now, Justine. Unless um, there's something else that you, just our time one, is up. <laughs> no, our time is up. But one last thing that I just yes. want to say: maybe we could get back together and talk about these other things at, at some point. Um, there are over 600 robotic news presenters in China. AI robots. Hectic. AI is going to, you talk about OTT services and Facebook transforming the media. Wait until People trust the robot that to is give giving you news. their nightly news more than they trust the journalists. That is a... Right, that's just given me shivers. <laughs> the horrible, horrible shivers. We should be talking about it because it's coming. It's coming. Okay. Glenn okay, we'll, chat, we'll chat, chat some more about that. Okay, lovely okay. to chat. Thanks, Justine. Take care. Okay. Bye, you too. Bye. Bye. Bye.